As we turn to Ephesians chapter 1, we just got done celebrating Easter. We just got done celebrating the death, burial, and resurrection and ascension of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And as would have been in the day of Jesus, the question would be, well, what do we do now? Where, where do we go from here? And we find ourselves kind of at that crossroads as we just got done studying the book of Revelation. And we just got done celebrating Easter Sunday. And, and it's like, okay, where, where do we go from here, right? Well, one of the things that we need to be reminded of is when, when Jesus ascended back into heaven, he didn't leave us with, as we used to say at Seattle's Union Gospel Mission, He didn't leave us with a mission, the mission, you know, rescue missions. He didn't leave us with Christian camps. He didn't leave us with Christian schools. He left us the church. That was the Lord's primary vehicle of preaching the gospel. Now, those other things are great. There are awesome ministries uh, and great other ways to preach the gospel and, and evangelize and, and serve the body of Christ. But, but the Lord had a, a blueprint and a plan, and that was to, to plant the church. He left us with his Holy Spirit to help guide us so that the Spirit of the Lord would be in us, dwelling in us, in our minds, in our conscience. He left us with his word. And what a, a beautiful gift of having God's word. So when we come here today, we're not here because of, of what I'm trying to drive, my beliefs, my opinions, my views, politically, biblically, spiritually. We don't care where I stand. We, we care where the Bible stands. Uh, that's my job, is to preach God's word to you. And your job as good Bereans is to study to see if it is so, Right? And so we keep each other accountable. And that's one of the great things about about the church. And so when we come and we study God's word, one of the things that we come to study is, well, how do we do church? Right? Well, what is happening here? What's taking place? And so how we do church, how we serve, why we sing music, why we, we give financially, why we would have a work day, why we would have a potluck. Uh, what leadership is? Why is there leadership? What's the structure of that? Well, we look to the scriptures. What does the Bible tell us? Um, again, we don't, we don't care about contextualization about, well, you know, 2,000 years ago they used to do it this way, but now we're going to shift. No, we, we want to be biblical. Um, we want to know how we live. How should we independently live? How do we do life? How do we worship with our life. And so when we look to the scriptures and the scriptures teach us about things like, you know, fornication and adultery and homosexuality, and and these are just different types of sins. How do we know? Well, again, because this is what the Bible teaches, Um, not because we have any kind of personal lean or slant or vindiction or um, cause. We want to know how we parent. We want to know how we uh, conduct ourselves in, in marriage, how we are our children and, and how we are business owners and workers. 
we want to know how to uh, be holy as, as the scriptures uh, drive us to. And so Ephesians is a, is a great book for us to study. It's a great book for us to go to, um, to see how we live. And, and I love where Ephesians starts. It starts by, by laying down that, that our salvation is driven and comes from God's sovereignty. Uh, what, what, a, what a great marker, what a great place. And so today we are start our study and we're going to learn a lot in Ephesians. We're going to learn and understand the discipline needed for us to develop as true children of God, as, as adopted sons and daughters. Uh, we want to understand God's calling for us. How do we walk in a manner worthy of the calling? Um, we want to equip ourselves individually and collectively as a church. Uh, it's important for us as the body of Christ to function. We, we, we don't live independently. Uh, we, we live as, as a group here, a group dynamic. We all have different spiritual gifts that we bring to the table, um, that we share with one another. Um, we want to be able to process some of those those theological or doctrinal debates that, you know, uh, seem to be around us. And we want to do that without, and, you know, 2 Timothy 2.14 describes, without wrangling about, about words, right? Theology and doctrine isn't a, isn't a game or a toy to be um, pitted Christians against Christians. Uh, that's not how we want to come to the scriptures. We want to come to understand again uh, what God has intended for us and how we live, not so that we can argue uh, with brothers and sisters in Christ, and definitely uh, not how we would, you know, argue somebody into heaven, right? That that's that's not the the, the process. Um, so you know, we're we're going to see things like even today, and ironically, I was talking to somebody at a youth baseball game, and you know, he brought up the conversation of Calvinism and tulip, and it's like, well, it's funny because. Uh, that comes up today. We're going to see, you know, total depravity of man in verse 2 and 6. We're going to see unconditional election in verse 4. We're going to see limited atonement in verse 1. We're going to see irresistible grace in verse 5. And we're going to see the preservation of saints in verses 4 and 6. In just the first six verses of Ephesians, we hit on one of the biggest theological debates that there is. So we will hit on that as well. Um, how... How do we see that, that this is going to strengthen the church? Well, I want to start back in Revelation. We were just there, and so it should be fresh in our mind. But ironically, Revelation chapter 2, to the angel of the church in Ephesus. Hey, this is our friends in the church of Ephesus. The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance. And that you cannot endure evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles. And they are not. And you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake. And have not grown weary. Wow, I mean, how about that on your, you know, in your obituary or on your headstone? To have that said about you. To have that said about the church. That, that would be phenomenal, right? You cannot endure evil men. You, you toil and, 
and persevere through trials and tribulations. You, you put to the test. You, you study to see if it's so, the, the people who preach and teach before you. Um, and in some cases, they're, they, they find them to be false. But, verse 4, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first. Well, now we go back to Ephesians. Now we're back in the deeds that they did at first. We know what, what happens. We know the end of the story of this church. And we can look at them as a church ourselves and say, you know, I don't want to have the Lord look upon us and say, you know what? You guys have done a lot of great things. But you left your first love. Put that in context of, of, of a marriage, right? And we see this that in the end of Revelation that, that Christ takes his bride. That's us, the church, right? Take that in the context of marriage for your, your spouse to look you in the eyes and say, you know what? You've provided for me. You know what? You've loved me. You know what? We've been through thick and thin. You know what? You've done. But you left your first love. You left me. Oh, that would just break your heart, wouldn't it? Well, that's what's taking place with this church. But they didn't start that way. And so we want to pick up on, on, on the markers in the beginning of this church so that we don't end that way. Today, we're going to see God's sovereignty in salvation. God is sovereign in salvation. He reveals us in four ways in, in the first six verses uh, so that we as Ravensdale Bible Church don't lose our first love. So we as Ravensdale Bible Church stay on track, on the right track, on the biblical track. The first one is to, to the faithful. We see an address to the faithful. The second one is we're going to see by His grace. The third point we're going to see is it's for a blessing. And then the fourth point that we see is because he chose. Well, a little bit of background as we get into, again, this book. This is a, uh, a, a book. It's a letter. It's uh, written specifically to a church, a church in Ephesus. That's why it's called Ephesians. Um, Paul is the author of this, this book, and we see this in, his, in the introduction, the conclusions. Uh, he's writing this, actually, we, we learn in Acts uh, 28 that he's writing this from prison. So he's in prison, he's in Rome, and he pens this letter to this church. Um, Ephesus, and we've, we've talked about this before when we we're studying Revelation, Ephesus is a, is a major player in the world of the Mediterranean. They're the fourth largest Roman Providence, so Rome would spread out and spread its tentacles throughout the, the Mediterranean. One of its tentacles was in Jerusalem, right? That's where Pontius Pilate had set up shop. Well, the fourth largest one is in this area called Ephesus, which modernly known as, as Turkey. Uh, for some of you historians, you'll remember the Ottoman Empire. We don't talk a lot about the Ottoman Empire anymore. Uh, which ironically uh, may be the key to the future of the nations north of Israel, which would be the old Ottoman Empire. Um, and so the Ottoman Empire, this is part of the Ottoman Empire. He writes it from prison. 
uh, or sh I should say it's going to be the future Ottoman Empire. It was very, very prominent in politics, in education. It was a commercial center. It was one of those cities where, you know, to go to the east, to the west, to connect the two, you go through Ephesus. Um, and so they also had one of the largest temples for, you know, some of their, their gods, their foreign gods, Diana, right? You guys are probably familiar with the Temple of Diana. Now, the interesting thing with that is we look at those, you know, ancient Greek gods and Roman gods, and we laugh at that now. And it's, you know, the, the fable of it. And, you know, there's Marvel Comics you know, kind of tie into that. It's like we all know them to be just completely man-made. In fact, the Romans and the, and the Greeks personified humans and turned the humans into gods. That's why these gods all had these personalities like humans. It's a complete reversal of, of how God has described it, right? And so in time, we understand that they were just man-made. This is the part of the problem that we have today. The hangover is, well, people look at Christianity like that. Like we're just a fable, like we're just a myth. That's why we have to remind people like on Easter that Jesus actually lived on earth. Not just a story, not just a fable, not a myth, not a Greek or Roman um, God. And so back here at this time, people are still going to these temples and, and Ephesus has one of the main ones. The church of Ephesus is established by Paul himself on his third missionary journey. Paul had these three journeys. We see this in Acts where he goes and, and plants churches throughout the, the Mediterranean. This is where we get all these different Thessalonians and Ephesians and Colossians and Galatians, right? We get all these churches because Paul's planting churches. And so Paul has firsthand knowledge of who these people are, and that's why he's writing the letter. Uh, Timothy, uh, he ends up taking over uh, the church. And then we see in the book of Revelation that the church is, is still around and still exists. Well, some of the major themes that we're going to see throughout this book are things like grace. Uh, grace is one of those words that we say it all the time. But if we really meditate, if we really d dove into what grace means, uh, we see this throughout this book. We see glory throughout the book. We're going to see this idea of the fullness or, or, um, uh, or this key phrase, in Christ. In Christ, if you uh, highlight or mark your Bibles uh, like I do, and you, you just start highlighting in Christ, in Christ, in Him, through Jesus, in, in Him, in Christ, uh, you'll see that the, it's 14 times in the first chapter. I think God's trying to tell us something here. Maybe it's not about you. Maybe it's about him. Maybe everything that we have and accomplish is in him. How many times do I have to tell you? Right? Well, many times. Um, and so we're going to learn this throughout this book. And ultimately, we see a purpose that God's redemptive work is accomplished through Christ, not us. We don't earn our salvation. We can't work for it. We can't buy it. The things that we do, we do in love and obedience out of a reflection for what Christ has done for us, not because we earn his good favor. Um, and that's very, very important for us to understand as we move forward 
as a church and individually. So how does Ravensdale stay on track? How do we not lose our first love? Well, let's go uh, back to the book. Let's go to Ephesians 1 and begin in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. And so the first thing we want to see is is, uh, this idea of, of sovereignty, of sovereignty. Uh, Why sovereignty? Well, we see that uh, this is by the will of God. So Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, it's Paul who's following Jesus, not the other way around. Paul serves Jesus. Paul follows Jesus. This isn't Paul's book. It's not Paul's letter. It's written through him by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is an apostle. He is a worker of, of Christ Jesus, a disciple of Christ Jesus, pointing the way to Jesus by the will of God. This is God's will. So how about that for starting a letter? I'm going to write you a letter. This is God's will, not mine. (laughs) Well, what he's saying here is, okay, this is God's sovereign will. Well, we need to understand what that means. Well, first of all, Christ Jesus is King Jesus, right? Is God King Jesus. That's what the Christ is. That's what the Messiah is. This is, again, a reminder that Jesus is the God King. Okay? So right out of the gate, we see this. We again see his his headship, his power, his rule. Um, As the, the second part of the triune Godhead, right, in the Trinity, he has absolute unrestricted power and authority and command as sovereign. Now, we think of sovereign as just kingship, right? As a human king, the sovereign. Well, this king has not just human headship, but also spiritual headship, authority over all. He is the ultimate sovereign. He's king of kings, ruler of rulers, prince of princes. And so, by God's will, his unrestricted authority, his desire, Christ leaves the church. He leaves the church. And so, we see an example of this through Ephesians. This is the faithful. Who are the faithful? The church. The church is the faithful. The faithful the churches. We would call them Christians. At this point, they don't even have a name Christians yet, right? They don't have their branding or their logos out, their t-shirts. They're just, who are you? You know, in Acts it said, we're just part of the way, you know. Um, We are the faithful to Jesus, in Jesus, through Jesus. That's who we are by definition. And so our, 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 our first uh, revelation that we see here and seeing God's sovereignty in salvation is this is to the faithful. Well, part of what we see and understand is, well, there's the faithful and then there's, well, the others, the, the unfaithful. Again, we just studied that in Revelation. There are, there are those who are, are followers and committed and worship God and those who are not following and not worshiping and not committed to God. They're 
the unfaithful. Uh, they are not the saints. They are not in Christ. They're not following Christ. Now, when we look at things like, like you know, tulip, right? And we look at things like, well, this is why there's limited atonement. At the end of the day, we know that everybody is not saved by definition. Uh, well, that, that's a truism. Everybody uh, does not follow Christ. Everybody is not faithful. And so, very distinctly, this letter is written to the saints, specific saints in Ephesus who are faithful in Christ. So this is a body of believers in this church specifically. And so we look to the next verse. The, we see God's sovereignty and salvation by his grace, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we have read the scriptures and we've seen many letters and unfortunately, we almost see this, uh, this salutation of grace to you as just a, 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 a common phrase, like, how are you doing? Fine. What does that mean? I don't know. I have no idea what that means, right? It could mean my house just burnt down. Uh, I have no idea what that means. We've familiarized ourselves so much with certain phrases like grace to you that we've, we, we've forgotten what that phrase is saying. This idea of grace, well, grace is everything to us. You, you can't buy your way into heaven. It's got to be given to you. So buy, that, that's that agent of performing the action. What action? Grace, the, the, the pardon the gift of salvation. We see this described a little bit better in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, 4. It's by grace. So here's, here's a good definition of grace. This is what grace means. By grace, you've been saved through faith and not of your own. It's a gift of God, not a result of works that no one should boast. So when we go back and we say, well, grace to you, we're saying salvation to you, faith to you, the free gift that you got from Jesus. The blood of Christ, the resurrection of Jesus, all of that is like compacted in this little phrase, grace to you. But we've heard it and say it so much that it just gets glossed over. And we just speed past this phrase as though it means nothing. It means everything. It's our anchor in understanding that God is sovereign in our salvation. He sovereignly gives the free gift of grace by your faith that's not from you. Get, get your mind wrapped around that. Okay, I get a free gift of grace that's not of my own. It's not from me at all. Uh, it has that idea of, you know, we, we think of giving gifts and somebody gives a gift and hands it to you and you reach out, give me, give me, give me, right? I can't wait to get the gift, to grab the gift, to take the gift. No. It's more like him reaching out, grabbing your hand. I don't want to do that, right? No, you're going you're gonna, to, here's your hand. Open your hand, prize your fingers open, right? And gives you, anybody come to the Lord that way, right? Didn't want it, wasn't looking for it. By grace, God says, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give it to you. You didn't 
even want it in so many different cases. He is the agent by his grace given to you and peace. How precious is that word peace? Um, you see it in the Old Testament, the idea of shalom, peace, rest. It's like we, we, we need a break from, from the pressure. One of the things we do a horrible job at as believers is like we don't admit and confess our weaknesses, right? Especially men. It's like, right? It's like, how are you? I'm fine. I don't need anything. It's like, you know what? The job is going rough. The family's going rough. Personal life is going. I mean, ever the world is falling apart around you, and you're fine. And you just, <laughs> and you just want peace. Some can't even sleep through the night because the weight of the world is so heavy. The burden is so extremely heavy. You know, worrying about your kids so extremely heavy. If it, you know, so here's this beautiful picture of, of <clears throat> by grace and, and peace, and it's from God. It's from God. He's the source. Now, I love this. It'd be one thing that, okay, the Lord God Almighty is giving you this grace that you don't want, right? Authority, power, control. But it's, then it gets into this personal, God, our Father. This is parental. This is the parental relationship that our Father has with us as His children. Um, it's gentle. It's loving. It's personal. It's relational. Um, it's not just a sterile religion. It's not just theology and doctrine and the way it is. No, this is personal. In his sovereignty, in his salvation, he graciously gives it to you. Peace from the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Your King, Jesus Christ. God is sovereignly, graciously giving this to you. That's what makes it so precious. And it's unearned, completely unearned. We, we can't stress that enough. Why? Well, part of the problem with earning something is you can lose something. Part of the problem with earning something is, well, it's dependent upon you today. We'll see how you do tomorrow. Anybody want to take that gamble? Um, well, the third way we see this is for a blessing, for a blessing. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father, right? That package there, it's not just God, it's, this is a relationship. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, again, in Christ. Just a reminder, just to make sure you know, it's not you, it's, it's in Christ. So he gives us salvation in this sovereign, in this blessing. First of all, the blessing is, is reflected to God. We're in an age and culture where it's all about me, 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 right? And the worst place of all is, is the church. And the church is, it's all about you and what you're going to get and how awesome it is and the blessings and the gifts. And it's all, that's all they talk about. It's like, well, let's start where it begins. Blessed be God. 
First, our praise, our worship is, is to be thankful to God. Yes, we receive blessing, but, but let's be grateful. Let's not forget this idea of blessed be the God is the idea of praise be to God, uh, glory to God. It's worship. We, we worship God by blessing him. This is part of the reason why prayer is so vital and so important is because it's a reminder of who you are and who is positionally, right? He's God, I'm not. That's a really good starting point. It seems basic, but, but it's important. I need you. You don't need me. <clears throat> Praise God. Worship God. In the process, you're praising and worshiping him, showing him, honoring him, and exalting him. That, that, that's, that's very important for us individually and as a church to understand. And then we do see, blessed be to God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has who has blessed us. And God forbid we really question that. What do you mean God's blessed us? How? Do you know how, how much I owe? Do you know my position at work? Do you know my struggles? Do you know? And that's not what we're talking Blessed be God. He, he died on the cross for us. He was buried and rose again. How, how about we start there? Right? That's why we have to constantly remind ourselves that that's what Christ did because we forget. And we're either unwilling or too ungrateful to praise and bless God. And then we see that there are these blessings. Every spiritual blessing. Not just, not just our salvation, which that's, that's a biggie, right? I mean, that, that's a big one. But I mean... We're, we're going to see things like, well, he blessed us by choosing us. He blessed us by redemption. He blessed us by sealing us. He blessed us by reserving a place in heaven. How about that one? That's a pretty good blessing. I'll take that one. Um, and so God's sovereignty and salvation is for a blessing. It's a good thing. It's for, for our good. God has a plan. God had a plan. That plan was sovereignly designed all the way back in the garden, right? That plan we saw as we studied Revelations, we studied um, Easter Sunday, that, that God predicted and stated, this is what I'm going to do to save you. Not by accident, a part of his plan. Salvation for a blessing, sovereignly by God. Well, Finally, we see all this takes place. Grace, salvation, it all takes place. And he drives it home through him and his sovereign choice. Verse 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. When? Before the foundation of the world. How's that for a plan? How's that for providence? How's that for God's will? How's that for a definition of sovereignty? That we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention 
of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace back to the grace which he freely bestowed upon us in the beloved so i mentioned that we we have some theological debates and issues and one of them is this this debate with calvinism and tulip and you know sometimes you get books like this right you get a good two inch book so this was my um, my workbook for my ephesians class in seminary now this is the letter of ephesians right here and this is my book and i've got large large lettering right so your bible might have it on two pages i don't know so here's one of the things we want to be careful uh, and i've talked about this before the difference between god's word and man's opinions god's word and 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 and, and man uh, we, we don't want to go some, something's not right there right there, there's too much man talk um, but we also want to dive deeper we, we, we want to take a closer look and a deeper look and so th there's a healthy balance one of the issues we run into is as man tries to package this um, they, they come up with terms and phrases and theologies and things like well, there's, there's this idea of, of tulip. Is, is there a total depravity of man? Of course, all men have sinned. All men. There's none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3 is very clear. Uh, we're, we're all desperately sick and, and wicked. Jeremiah 17, 9. We're conceived in sin. Uh, Psalm 51. I mean, we're, we're sinners. We're totally depraved. That's why we need God's grace. Because we're sinners. Um, we have this idea, because we're sinners, because we're so wretched, we have this unconditional, there's no conditions to your salvation. You, know, you, you need to do this, this, and this, and then we'll talk about it. No, it's the idea of that's why you come as you are. I'll start going to church and I'll start following when, when I get my life right. No, you've got it wrong. You come to church, you start reading God's word and, and let the power of the Holy Spirit transform you. You're not going to get it right. Guess what? I hate to break it to you. Uh, you. You can come here and be here for a long time and still wrestle with sin. Um, so that's not why we, we don't come because we've met conditions. It's an unconditional love. Again, we see this with parents. Parents have an unconditional love for their children. That's the kryptonite for us. We love our kids so much that we're going to love them no matter what. Um, and so some kids kind of figure that out. So, well, you know, I could do this, this, and I'll push that envelope. They still love me? Let's push it some more. They still love me? I'll push it some more. Um, yeah, we love you unconditionally. We loved you when we found out you were coming. We loved you when we saw the little raccoon skin on the, on the screen, you know, we loved you when you're a little baby, just crying and screaming and yelling all the time because you're selfish. We loved you then. Oh, we loved you through the teenage years. We're still in rehab for that. Um, 
It's, it's unconditional. Um, we mentioned before, the sad truth is there are going to be people who clenched fist, gritty teeth, the gnashing of the teeth will reject this grace, will reject the cross, will choose to worship something, anything, rocks falling on their heads. It's described in Revelation, anything other than worshiping God. Unfortunately, heaven is not going to be for everybody. That doesn't mean that the blood of Christ wasn't sufficient to pay the price for all of sin. It doesn't mean it wasn't offered. It wasn't available. It's just the fact is it, it's, it's limited. Um, that grace that we received was irresistible. We couldn't reject it if we tried we, we've talked about this at the men's group well you know one day you can't see it you're blind as a bat and the next day it, it all opens up to you. you you see how did i miss that how did i think that way how how it, it the grace was irresistible you, you couldn't resist it and now you can't help yourself on Sunday morning. You could be out boating. You could be quilting. You could be mowing your lawn. You could be sleeping. You could be doing anything. And here you are. How many people at one point of their life would think this is where I would be on a Sunday morning, but you can't help it. It's irresistible grace. And then there's a preservation of the saints. How is it? And it's the idea of, you know, once saved, always saved. And again, here's the trick. I don't know who's saved. So we're making judgments based on what we see. And I said, well, I, that guy, I mean, he was preaching and evangelizing and witnessing. And now he's doing all this. It's like, well, was he saved or not? I don't know. I'm not God. All I know is, is that for true redemption, for true choosing, for true election, predestination. God picks you, chooses you, puts you in his hand. He's not letting go. You can't fight or wiggle your way out of his hands. Can't happen. Can we as humans trick ourselves and each other? Yeah, absolutely. All the time. Um, and so when we package this and we call things Calvinism or Arminianism or Tulip. That's not the way we want to look at it. What we want to look at is biblically. So I don't know when people come up to me at a baseball game. So, so what are you, what are you a Calvinist or, you know, it's like, no, I, I believe in the Bible. What do you, what do you mean by Calvinism? Do I believe in total depravity man? Yeah, absolutely. Do I believe in unconditional. Yeah. Do I take the next step that a book like, not this one in particular, but a book like this will then go on to describe that? No, because this then becomes man's written. I'm going to go by God's word. And what does God's word say when we talk about choosing just as he chose? Um, well, I understand what that means. What do, what do you mean God chose? If only the Lord would answer that question. Oh, he does. Well, this is what I mean in him before the foundation of the world. Huh, that's a long time ago. So the picking of me happened, well, again, not when I did anything. Well, I wasn't even alive. Well, and none of you, nobody was alive. 
Not even some of you. Maybe just after the foundation of the world, but <laughs> this is before the foundation of the world. He picked you before the foundation of the world. I don't know if I like that, quite frankly. Well, then you're going to have to shift and adjust because this is how God chose to do it. I need a little bit more information. He, he chose us before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him. How am I holy and blameless? Because I am such a good person and follow the rules. My holiness and blamelessness comes from the blood of Christ. So that, so again, we're back to the plan. That's back to the plan of what Jesus is, and I love it, it says in him, right? In love, he predestines us. How? To adoption as sons. Again, if you, if you know anything about adoption, if you've ever thought about what adoption is, again, it's the idea of you, you have an, an orphan. Somebody's been orphaned. Somebody's been abandoned. Somebody's left behind all alone. And somebody else comes, adopts them as their own, as their own flesh and blood. That, that most of intimate relationships, a parent and a child. And this is the picture then that God gives us, that he predestines us to, to this adoption process. So what is the choosing? What does it look like? Is it just kind of, you know, random? No, it's, it's just like a parent would choose to adopt a child in the most loving ways possible through Jesus Christ himself. And here's the kicker, according to his kind intention. So here's the challenge. And this is why you have to be careful with the books and the, the theologies that you see is man comes into this with his sarcasm, cynicism, right? And, and negativism and sin and says, well, so God must have been angry. God must have been, no, God must have been nothing but kindly intended, kindly intentional. How do I know? Because it says it in God's word. I don't have to guess what God was thinking. God's kind intention of his will was to save us through this process. Now, Satan would love for us to violate the rule of 2 Timothy 2.14 and wrangle about over words and twist the words around and fight over what they mean and make them mean something else. What we need to understand is that God's sovereignty in and through salvation, he chose us in him, in him, not in us, Meaning, none of us deserve it. It's all in him anyway. I mean, you have to understand that. Before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless. Our holiness and blamelessness comes from him in love. This is a loving, kind, gracious thing. He predestined us, adopting us the most loving way possible as sons through Jesus to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. 
And so God's sovereign plan is to take completely sinful people, unconditionally elect them. Fortunately, it's ultimately going to be limited in membership to this irresistible grace to those that's given. And he will, by his preservation, because it was a chosen, predestined before the foundational world, it's, it's sealed. It's already sealed. And all that to the praise of the glory of his grace. And you can see the thinking here. Because as, as, as our mind starts to want to kind of twist and turn this into something bad, why didn't he choose everybody? Why isn't everybody saved? You know, we, we got a lot of whys. And then the rebuttal to that is to the praise and glory of his grace. Let me remind you again of his grace, which he freely gave you and you and you and you and you on us in the beloved, in him. In him alone, we have redemption. Again, let me remind you, redemption, the payment, you know, just like you'd redeem a coupon, the payment for your sin through his blood, not your blood. Why did he do it this way? Because he paid the price. Because he is God before the foundation of the world and you weren't there. The forgiveness verse 7, of our trespasses. And we'll get to this next week. And so we see here the launching of Ephesians, this book of Ephesians. How do we live? How does the, the church function? We see that it begins with a proper understanding of how we're sovereignly saved anyway. How we got here. We got here by God's grace. That doesn't make us arrogant. That cannot in any way, shape, or form, make us arrogant. It, 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 it demands and commands our humility. And every time we take a step to explain exactly how this works, it turns right back to reminding us that you and I had nothing to do with it. It's a gracious gift. It's a gracious gift. And so our operation begins... It begins in being thankful and grateful and humble and a great desire for others to see what we see. So some plant the seed, some come along and water, but it's God who will ultimately cause the growth. It's God who will reap the harvest. We don't reap the harvest. We may be there to see it, but, but we're not the harvest reapers. That, that, that's a God thing. And so that takes the pressure again off of us. We're not salesmen for Jesus. Closing the deal, rack another one up, hit the bell, get a trip to Hawaii. No, we, we want everybody to go to Hawaii, right? And so we kindly, like his kind intention, I'm reminded of that in, in, in Galatians. Even if you catch someone in sin, in kindness, restore them. Not in harshness, judge them. Not in harshness, call them out. In kindness, in gentleness, the goal, restore them. Why? Because we've been restored. Because we've been shown grace. 
It's a reflection of what God has done for us. And so that's where we need to be as a church. And we can't lose that first understanding so we can't lose that first love, that first passion to be just eternally grateful for what he's done for us. And then you turn aside what he's done for our, our friends, our family, and what we hope and desperately desire he does for so many others. Let's pray. Lord,